Um, it, yeah, we're good. Thank you. Um, if we have not met, uh, my name is Zach, and it was awesome getting to stand in the back kind of as worship was happening and just high-five you guys as you came in. It was, it was really fun. Those of you who had to spell your name for me, I apologize. Uh, my American ears are still being trained. So, uh, but thank you guys. And like Yami said, I am so pumped that, that we're here together this morning. Because I think what the Lord is doing in this church um, is something new. It's something different. If, if you were here a year ago, you look around and you know that it looks and feels different. And if you weren't here a year ago, then welcome to the party. <laughs> welcome to what God is doing here in, in the city. And, um, and so if, if this is your first time or if you're, you're kind of new, uh, or your first time back in a while, we have been talking about relationships. Um, and we've been looking at it from all different angles. And we've been doing it using the, the text, 1 Corinthians 13 has been our, uh, our, our kind of our bullseye. We've just kind of been slowly walking through that, asking hard questions, giving the Lord opportunity to speak. And, um, and so before, before I really go anywhere else, um, I just, I would love to read this. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes uh, if I sit too long, my ears get clogged. So if you would stand with me as I, as I read the text. Um, and so I'll, I'll read the text, I'll pray, and then, and then we'll have a seat and jump in. So again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this morning I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could even remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, and is not provoked, and thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Jesus, thank you for these words. Thank you that you, you are a God of love and that this is, is where you have us as a church. Jesus, thank you for every person in this room right now. Thank you for every person that you have brought here to be together. Lord, thank you for fun things like sports day. Thank you for noisy things like kids' church. Thank you that you are at work in our midst. And so I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would bring your word to life for us this morning like only you can. Holy Spirit, would you be the loudest voice in the room? In Jesus' name, amen. And I had you seated. Thank you. Um, so before before we jump in, I I need you. I need, no no you you need you to understand why we're doing this. Um, I think it might be easy, you know, to if, if again if you're new to to flood, it might be easy to look at like relationship goals or love and relationships, and you see the title of the sermon, you're like, oh, I get it. Last week was Valentine's Day. They're doing like. They're keeping up with the times. That's cool. Like, no, that's not really it. Um, or maybe it might be easy to think like, oh, hey, 2020, new year, new you, let's better, right? Like, this is the next phase of the, hey, you come to church to learn how to be better. No, that's, that's not the goal. Um, or, or maybe when you walked in, you looked around, you're like, man, there's a lot of single people here. <laughs> maybe they're just trying to get everybody married off. Um, but you would also be wrong. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not why. Um, and so I, I, I think this is important to, a, to answer the, the question of why are we even spending this much time in 1 Corinthians 13. This, you might have been to a church at one point where you've heard this entire text preached in 30 minutes. And we're taking what feels like months 
to, to slowly walk through it. And it's because it is foundational to everything else that God wants to do in your life. Hear me when I say that. This text, this passage, this, the reality of what love is designed to be like is absolutely foundational for you experiencing the fullness of God. And, and, I, and I'll prove that to you. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the context real quick. So, and by context, I mean like what's around it, right? Like uh, I had a friend of mine who used to say that when you read the Bible, you have to eat the whole sandwich. You can't just pull the meat out and eat it because you have to get the whole context. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at what's sandwiched around 1 Corinthians 13. So in, in chapter 12, just a real quick glance, just if, if you have your Bible with me, you want to look at it, it's on the screen. Um, just a few verses, right? So verse, starting in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So then Paul, the author of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he spends chapter 12 unpacking some spiritual gifts. And he talks about some really specific things. He talks about prophecy. He talks about words of knowledge. He talks about us as God's people being a body and working together. And, and he talks about the, the way that the Lord, through the Spirit, does supernatural things in your life. That's chapter 12. Then we get chapter 13. It's just love, love, love. And then after 13, chapter 14 is another chapter that he specifically gives instructions to the church and says, listen, y'all are crazy. The Holy Spirit's crazy. And he's been doing a lot of things around you that you don't understand. But let me help you understand. And so it's, it's, it's these three chapters in tandem are spiritual gifts, love, spiritual gifts. And verse four, chapter 14, verse 1 says, pursue love, right? So that's the bullseye. That's the target. That's where we're headed. But as you go, as you are in pursuit of love, as you are trying to follow Jesus and figure him out, desire spiritual gifts. Gifts meaning that you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. It's he, as a good father, wants to give you supernatural things. Does that make sense? I love receiving gifts. Gifts is one of my love languages. If we're friends and you want to get me a gift, that would make my day. My daughter, Ellie, she is a gift junkie. Every time I come back from anywhere, Dad, did you get me something? Right? Like, like she is expecting that I was thinking about her while I was away. Right? So what do you expect of your father? What do you expect him to be thinking of you? And when you come before him, when you ask him to do things in your life, what do you anticipate that he will do? And so the reason that we have to get chapter 13 right is because it is absolutely crucial that you understand God's love for you and the way that that manifests itself in the relationships around you. It is, it is foundational to the other things that God wants to do in you and through you. Are you with me? Yeah? All right. So... Yeah, I'm excited, and I hope you are too, because, so, today we're just going to look at, at verse 6 in chapter 13, so we've been kind of, like I said, going through it slowly, and if, and if you've not been here for any of it, like Yami said, on the website are all the sermons, and there might be an option, you can play it on like twice speed, right, and so you can listen to a 60-minute sermon in 30 minutes, it's awesome, I used to do that in college, it was great, um, digress, sorry. We're in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Here we go. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, I don't know if you were here last week, but Yami taught on forgiveness. Taught on the, the, the verses ahead of this where it doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil. And that was, that was not easy, right? Like forgiveness is not an easy thing to, to wrestle with. 
if, if you struggled through last week and you're like, oh man, forgive me, I don't, ugh, yeah, relationships are hard. And then you walk in today and you look at this text and you go, does not rejoice in iniquity, rejoice in truth. That sounds easy, right? Like this one I can do, right? And if you, even if you have different versions, so I've got the New King James here with me this morning. And uh, if you look at some different translations of the word iniquity, New American Standard calls it unrighteousness. English Standard Version calls it wrongdoing. New Living Translation says injustice. And the NIV says evil. So it's interesting, right? So there's but this whole ball of stuff, the, the teaching is do not rejoice in injustice. Do not rejoice in evil. Now, again, it, I wish it was as easy as us going, yeah, I don't like injustice. Check. Let's go to sports day. <laughs> right? Like, I wish it was that easy. Um, but Jesus doesn't let us off the hook that easy. If, if you've spent much time in the Gospels, you know that there's a number of times that Jesus said things that cut people to the heart. There was, the, in chapter 5, he's, he's it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, let, me just, let me just go there. Um, but there's a few different times where he says in Acts 5, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, right? Um, I want to start in verse 27. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this is something that um, when I was growing up as a young man, I had mentors in my life that forgot to teach me this. They said things like, nah, dude, look, but you can't touch. That's what someone told me. Like, hey, this is good Christian advice. Look, but don't touch. That is not what Jesus said. Right? Jesus takes things to a different level. A, a few verses up. Verse 21. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. <clears throat> Again, I, I, thankfully, I can honestly stand before you and say that I have never taken someone's life. Never done that, right? Killed a bunch of bugs, killed a scorpion in my hallway, but I have never taken the life of another human. But Jesus raises the bar. And this one's, this one's the, the, the hard one for me now because I get really easily frustrated. And then there's, when there's someone that has, has done wrong to me, someone that I feel like, deserves something bad to happen to them and something happens there's this little party that goes on inside of me right and you, you're laughing because you do it too right like that guy that goes like zooming past you and then he like flies ahead and you're like dude i hope you blow tire right like there there is something inside of us that bends towards anger and jesus says that that anger is going to be judged. Now, and again, it, it's tricky, right? Like this text in 1 Corinthians is, do not rejoice in injustice. Do not rejoice in wrongdoing. But when you and I, when we allow our minds to go to inappropriate places, to go to places where we have, have wished someone's ill, where we have, we, we have wished things uh, we, we've, we've, we've dabbled in envy, we've dabbled in lust, we've dabbled in anger, we are all of a sudden guilty. And some truth about Jesus, if you go to the next slide for us, the, just a couple quick observations about this. Jesus redefines it, right? And he focuses on your heart. It's so easy to look at someone and say, hey, he must be having a great day. And it's so easy to fake it, right? Like, it's so easy when somebody says, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm good. But you know you're lying, right? 
And here's, this is the, real, this is the bottom line. This is one of the things is, I, I want us to wrestle with. That sinful thoughts invoke the same punishment as sinful actions. It invokes the same judgment. I'm not sure why judgment, that was my fault probably. But um, Romans says that the wages of sin are death. Both eternally and in relationship. When I allow sin to weave its way, when I allow hatred, lust, malice, envy, when I allow those things to weave in, the relationships around me start to drop off. Right? And Paul in Corinthians is trying to tell us, like, don't let there be a sliver of it. Don't let there be a sliver of it. Let's talk about all of it. Because here's, hit the next slide for me, Emma, please. Here's the thing. Righteous things are easy to say. Right? It's easy on a Sunday morning or here this afternoon during a sports day. It's going to be easy to say things like, yeah, man, Yami's sermon last week was so good on forgiveness. I've really worked through it, and I've totally forgiven them. It's easy to say that. It's easy to sit down beside somebody and say, hey, man, 2020, happy new year. What are some of your goals? You're like, oh, man, I really want to work on my marriage. I really, I'm going to invest in it. I really want my marriage to be awesome. Man, you're awesome. What a great goal, right? Or, or maybe like somebody sits down beside you. Hey, man, like how, how are you doing? What's going on? You're like, man, I just, I really just been enjoying extra time with Jesus. Just been, I just love it. And it's, those things are so easy to say, right? Goals just roll off of our tongue. Man, next week, I really want to. Man, next month, I really hope I can. Man, before the end of the year, I'm really believing God for whatever. But here's a hard truth. While righteous things are easy to say, sin is often secret. It just is. It's the nature of it. And so I wanted, I wanted us to wrestle with this today. Because I think as a church, we are at a very, very crucial point. That it would be really easy for you to walk into a room of 100 people whose names you probably don't know half of the people in this room, if you're being honest. And for somebody to say, hey, John, how you doing? And you go, I'm good. But you know that you're lying. You know that you're not good. And it, somebody says, you know, hey, Prince, how's your marriage, man? How's things going? Oh, man, me and Jules, we're good, bro. We're good. It's easy to say that. But I want us to remember how we got here. I want us to, to, to not be a church that wears masks. I want us to be a people that's in one another's lives. I want our life groups to be the best part about this church. I want our family, I want our parents to be able to sit down across the table from each other and go, I have no idea how to parent my four-year-old. Would you help me? I'll be the first on that list, right? Like, we have to be a people that does not rejoice in hiding our sin. Our spirituality does not is not measured by your skill at hiding your sin. But we rejoice in truth. And we're going to get to that in a second. But I just wanted to camp out on that for a minute because sin is often secret. And secrets are easy to hide. Right? It's so easy. It's so easy. So many believers... Some, so many close friends of mine stay in the shallow end, stay in the, the kiddie pool of the grace of God because they're not willing to look somebody in the eye and say, I messed up. Like catastrophically might lose my marriage messed up. We don't know how to do that. Those are muscles that we have to grow. Those are things that we have to figure out how to do as a community. Because maybe in a year, flood church, maybe, we, maybe we, we buy our own spot. Maybe we build our own church and we wind up with 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 people in flood church Blantyre. And we're like, woo, look at us, we're awesome. But 
it's shallow. If we don't get chapter 13 right, everything else falls apart. So when you find yourself hiding secrets, almost all the time, I find myself feeling very, very, very alone. And that is not a fun place to be. It's crazy how that in a room of 100 people, you can sit in your chair and feel like you, like you are in a hole that no one can see. Isn't that, isn't that mysterious? How our minds can be, trick us into believing in a room of a hundred people who care about you that you can sit in your chair and say, but you don't know me? I am a mess. And you can, you can feel unknown. You can feel totally alone in a room of a hundred people who love and care about you. It's possible. And that may be your reality this morning. See, sin starts small. And it, and it builds. And it builds and it builds and it builds until the next thing you know, you're sitting up at 2 a.m. And your thoughts aren't just, ah, I feel so alone. Your thoughts are, why am I even here? Your thoughts are, why don't I just end things? Because that's the end game of the enemy. To steal, kill, and destroy you. That's his goal. And so if we can get it at the beginning, if we can cut things off at the start, if we can be open and honest and have transparent conversations about with where we really are, if we can stop rejoicing with iniquity, if we can, if we can stop it before the snowball starts rolling, But you know, like you're not, just hear me, hear me, hear me on this. You are not alone. The shame that you feel when you're by yourself, when you're isolated, when you're hiding out, when you're, when you're hiding from people who love you and care for you, the shame that you feel may very well be similar to the shame that Adam and Eve felt in Genesis. We're just going to take a quick look in Genesis 3. All right, so Genesis 1 and 2 our creative God, with breath, just breathed creation into existence. Crazy, right? Then he scoops up some dust and again breathes life into the dust and makes man, right? Then he pulls a rib from his side and he makes woman and Adam's like, yes, this is awesome. This is exact. Yes, yes, yes. He officiates the first ever wedding ceremony and it's perfect. It's a party, right? And then, in chapter 3, the enemy sneaks his way in. And he convinces them that God doesn't love them. He convinces them. <laughs> it's all good. Hey, we're all about transparency, you know? We're all about If we could just be as honest as a two-year-old with our emotions, let's be real, huh? Like, you never have to guess what a two-year-old is feeling, right? Like, they are like, I... Feel it all right now. Okay, Genesis 3. Here we are. So in verse 8, by this time, they have already messed up. By this time, they stopped believing the truths that God said about them. And they disobeyed. And now, in verse 8, we're going to pick up verse 8. It says, when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? Now this is an interesting thing for God to say, right? It's like, God doesn't ever ask a question that he doesn't know the answer to, because he's God, right? There's something he's trying to communicate with the question. And I believe with all my heart that in this moment, the Father's heart was just wrecked and was just broken that his kids stopped trusting him. That his kids 
We're trying to hide from him. And so in asking, where are you, he's, there's, not, there's not condemnation in that it's affection. And it's brokenness. And it's the father saying, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. You're running and hiding from me, and I just want you to be with me. I don't have a list of things for you to do. I, I, yes, I have good things to give you, but I, I just want to be with you. And I think Adam sensed the tenderness in God's voice. And he also probably knew that he couldn't really hide from God. So he, so he, comes, he comes out. And in, and in verse 10, Adam said, I, I, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who, who told you you were naked? See, God made them naked, and it was awesome. And there was no shame. See, the reason that we, when we hit the emotion of shame, the reason that we just shut down in that moment is because you weren't designed for shame. You weren't made to, to be a creature that carried around shame. You were made naked and perfect and exposed and aware and intimate with the Father. We weren't, we weren't made for shame. And I think, I think there's times in our lives when we believe things that aren't true about ourselves. And I think this is the Father's heart. Who, who told you that? I'm going to, I want to, because I'm a science nerd at heart and I wanted to work for NASA while I was growing up, I like things in charts, okay? So I have a chart for you. Are you ready? A graphic, if you will. So on the left are the lies that sin will tell you, that the enemy will tell you, and that people that hate you will tell you. And then on the right, we're going to contradict those lies with truth from Scripture, from the Word of God, from the heart of the Father, okay? And again, hear, hear the heart of the Lord in this. Hear, hear Him say, who told you that nobody wants you? Who told you that? Because I told you that you're accepted. I told you that you are mine. I told you that I want you. Who told you that nobody wants you? Who told you that you will never win? Who told you that you were going to fail against this sin every day and you're never going to find victory and you're never going to find victory? Who told you that you'll never win? Because I set you free. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Not that we would return to a way of sin, but that we would be free. Who told you that you'll never win? Who told you that you're worthless? That you have no value? That you have nothing to offer? Because I, as your father, say that you are significant. Say that I made you, I designed you, and I have incredible things in store for you. So, who told you that you're worthless? Who told you that you don't belong? You didn't hear that from me? Who told you that you'll never find real friends in this life? Who told you that you can't have people that know your sin and still love you? Who told you that? Because I told you that you are mine. I told you that I want all of you. Your mess, your brokenness, your past, I want it all. Who told you that you don't belong here? So 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, we are going to not rejoice in the lies. We are not going to rejoice in, the, in sin, in the results of iniquity. We are not going to hang out on that side. 
but we are going to rejoice in the truth. Now, I, I grew up in a little bit of a liturgical church, all right, where like the pastor would have us like say things with him all the time, all right? So welcome to my world. Here we go. So if Emma, if you will go to the, the single column slide, um, we're just going to say these out loud. And then when we're done, we're going to celebrate. And I don't mean like, I want like, woo, like this is true. And if we don't get this right, oh, there's so many other things that we'll miss. All right, so here we go. We're going to say these things together. Say it with some oomph, with some gust. This is sports day, all right? So use your outdoor sports voice. All right, we ready? I am accepted. I am free. I am significant. I am his son. Woo! Yes! Yes! Mm. Doesn't that feel awesome? That joy is a window, a snapshot to the joy that the Father wants you to have every moment of every day as you walk with Him. That's possible, y'all, but you can't do it alone. This whole sermon series, this whole thing is, is, is to, be, to remind ourselves that we have a God who loves us. And that, that part of of being a son or a daughter of the king is, is receiving incredible things from him. But if we don't get chapter 13 right, if we don't rejoice in these things every day, then you will unfortunately drift and begin to celebrate the other things. Psalm 103 says this. Um, God is, is this incredible, it's this really, really beautiful picture where he says that we, he, he knows our frame, right? He made us, he knows who we are, and he remembers that we are dust. All right, this is really important, y'all. Love knows that you're in process. Okay? He knows. The reason that I want you to be able to, to celebrate those things are because, because you. And there's, there's some things that you know to be true that you struggle to believe. But what's the, what's the father say with the, the, the son who's in, possessed by a demon? He comes before the disciples and he says, hey, can you help my son? He, he's possessed by a demon. The demon throws him in the fire, throws him in the lake. He tries to kill him. I don't know what to do. They try it, and they're like, uh, we, Jesus, what do we do? Can you help us? Jesus, right? So Jesus comes up, and he's like, hey, hey, what, what's, what's the disagreement about? What's going on? And the father comes before Jesus, and he says, or Jesus has this interaction with him, and at the end, Jesus says, do you believe? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe? And the man's response is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. If we as a body can position ourselves before the Father every day and say, Lord, I believe, would you help my unbelief? If we could position ourselves before the Father in that way, think you'd see radical transformation. I want to look at one text, one scripture, tell one story, and then and I'll be done, okay? So in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I don't know if I made a, oh yeah, perfect, there it is, great. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here, 
we are being actively transformed. We are in process. The, the theological word is it's a sanctification, right? You, you begin a relationship with Jesus, and you are immediately justified. You are right with God. You are made right. Your sins are forgiven. You've received the Holy Spirit. Boom, you are united with Christ. You have become an heir to eternity. But you're still going to blow it. I'm still going to mess up. There's this morning, I was on my way here, and I had a guy try to, I was trying to buy bananas for church. And this disagreement with the guy about how much worth. And I was like, ah! And I got in the car, and I was like, oh, my gosh. What am I doing? Like, I'm literally going to stand up in front of 100 people and tell them to be angry with people. <laughs> We're, we are in process. Yeah? And it's a good process. And it's a process of transformation. God has and we have our part. So we do the things that we're responsible for, and we trust God to do the things he's responsible for. Yeah? We do not rejoice in iniquity, but we rejoice in the truth. Now, I told you I have a story for you. I have a really, really good friend in the U.S. And, um, and I was, when we were back just after the New Year, we, we got to visit, and it, our kids were, like, running, like, crazy. And uh, I said, dude, how are you doing? I was like, you just seem really good. He's like, dude, I really want to talk to you. Like, God's doing weird stuff. And I was like, awesome, let's talk. And then, like, Ellie came flying through. And then, like, his kid, like, crashed a truck into the wall. And, like, we, like okay, we'll, we'll talk, <laughs> like, at some point in the future. So I got, when I got back to Malawi, I had to come back to Malawi to, like, actually, like, feel at home, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, but we get back, and, and I get on the phone with him. And I was like, dude, tell me, like, what? What is going on? He's like, dude. What is I don't know, man. Like God is doing, it's weird, and I I don't really understand it. And and you need to know that this guy, he's an engineer, right? So before the Lord called him into ministry, he had a vocation as a civil engineer. He like made highways go around mountains and like constructed plans to dig tunnels and reroute rivers, and like that's the way his mind works. Okay, and all of a sudden God has started playing with this dude's head. And he's like, I, I don't know what's happening. And I was like, well, okay, tell me what's happening. He's like, okay. So this guy walked up to me after church, and he said, hey, man, can you pray for me? And, like, I said, yeah, man, let me pray for you and your sister. And the guy's like, I didn't ask you to pray for my sister. He's like, oh, yeah. And then the guy started weeping because he said, nobody knows about my sister. Like, she has mental health issues. She's in a mental institution. And none of our family knows what to do with her. Nobody talks about her. How did you know about my sister? And Andy's like, I don't know. It's just a good guess. And then like time after time, over two weeks, as he started to pray for people, the Lord just started leading him. He started praying for, for he's like, I don't know. Is your knee, can I pray for your knee? And the guy's like, no, it's fine. Like my knee's just always going to hurt. It's just, it is what it is. He's like, yeah, but don't you love to dance? He's like, what am I, what are these words that are coming out of my mouth? And the guy's like, yeah, I loved it in my 20s, but now I'm 60. And then he's like, here, can I just, I don't know, man, can I just pray for your knee? He's like, okay, have at it. So he prays for his knee, and then, like, they start dancing together. And Andy, again, he grew up in the Methodist church. He has no Pentecostal care, nothing. Like, none of that makes any sense to him. So he's just going, I don't know what's happening, right? And so, like, and so there's a number of these experiences where the Lord has just started revealing himself to Andy and saying, hey, man, pray for somebody in this way. Hey, hey, as you're praying for this person, pray in this way. And Andy's like, ah. And so he's telling me this, and his voice is getting higher and higher. He's like, I don't know what to do, right? And I'm like, dude, let's just, let's just celebrate. He's like, what? I'm like, I don't know. Like, woo! Like, let's just praise God, you know? And he's like, I, okay. Then what? You know, and so, I, and so I asked him, I was like, well, hold on, time out. I was like, back me up. What's been going on? Like, this, like sometimes God just does this to have fun with us, but like there's usually a buildup, right? There's usually something that builds up. And I said, tell me what's been going on. He's like, I don't know, man. Like, I took my sabbatical last year, and he's like, and you know, like, you remember that I was, when I was 12, like my, 
My dad killed himself, right? Like, you remember that? I was like, yeah, I remember that. He's like, well, during my sabbatical, like, I had, had someone tell me that I should probably, like, process that. Like, I should, there, that, that the things that I did, the, the, the crassness of my jokes, the, the types of movies I chose to watch, the, the, the distractions that I put in my life, I put there to mask this, like, hurt and pain. Um, so I started going to counseling. And, and in, that, in those conversations, I realized that I had scars and pain from my 10-year-old self, and I didn't really know how to trust God. He's like, and here I am as a 35-year-old man pastoring a church, and I don't know how to trust God. He's like, so for the past 12 months, I've just, God has been giving me these declarations. And he's been putting people in my life that speak these declarations over you that you are no longer a slave to your secret. You can expose them and release them of their power and be free. He's like, so I just started speaking these declarations. I'd wake up in the morning and I just would, my wife and I would just say, hey, we're free. We'd look at each other and say, hey, I choose you. We would just make declarations of truth over our lives. He said it kind of felt like a weird thing to do sometimes, but like we just we really felt like the Lord was leading us to do that. And I just am like laughing. And he's like, why are you laughing at me? I was like, dude, it just makes so much sense. He's like, this is how God does things. He, there are things that we carry. If you, there was a few sermons ago that I had a giant yoga ball up here, right? And, and the, the, the image was that this represents sin, right? So imagine I have a giant and for Andy, it wasn't so much sin as much as it was hurt, as much as it was pain. And so he found a way to set that down. Then he turned around to Jesus and went, well, now my hands are empty. Fill them up. And the Lord said, okay, watch this. And he started to, he entered a season of his life that he never thought possible. Because our God is a supernatural God. But he's a patient God too. Remember, he was born in a manger, right? He doesn't force his way on anybody. But he has given us a text. He has given us a community. And he has given us the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Why would you choose to just be okay? Why would, when freedom is an option, why would you choose slavery? When identity is an option, why would you choose confusion? And this is, this is the question I wrestle with too, because there's nights that I choose entertainment over engagement with the Lord. And so, so I, I share that story because I think, I think my friend started to get chapter 13 right. He started to believe the true things that God said about him. And he set some things down, and then he realized, oh my goodness, now I can pick some things up. And this is awesome. <laughs> okay? So... I have a couple questions for you. If you have a, a pen or a phone or something, I would, I would you to write these down, okay? These next steps that we're going to be walking through together. And I think the first one is I just want you to, to honestly answer the question, where are you? And again, here, this is not a judgmental question. This is the tenderness of the Father's heart seeking you, saying, where, where are you? Are you in a season where you're hiding right now? Are you in a season where you don't really know where you are right now? Where are you? And I pray you would have the courage to be honest with yourself and be honest with at least one other person. If you're married, it should probably be that person. 
Um, number two, who are you going to invite into your secrets? And the real question is here is how are you going to dismantle the power that the secrets, the, the secret sins have on your life? How are you, who are you going to invite in to be a chain breaker in your life? Third question. Third and fourth. What are you going to put down? And right now, if you had to guess, what, what might you want to pick up? If you had to guess. My, my, my gut, my, 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 my thought is that you might not know what you're going to pick up because you have been so busy carrying that thing that you don't know what it's like to have empty hands. You don't know what it's like to have a free Wednesday. You don't know what it's like to take a day off. What are you going to put down? And what are you going to pick up? Next question. Sorry, there's a lot of questions. It's a, it's a little bit of a question and it's a little bit of an invitation. Um... I don't know what type of church background you come from. Like I said, I grew up in a Methodist, went to a Wesleyan college. While I was at college, I went to a Pentecostal church, and then I went to a non-denom evangelical Bible college or uh, seminary. It was a part of a conservative, almost like United Brethren church. Then I was involved with a church plant, and now I'm on staff with Young Life. So theologically, I'm all over the map, all right? And I don't know where you are. Theologically, I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord, but here's what I know. That Easter is coming. We, a community of, a global community of believers, we celebrate Easter. And guess what happens on Easter? We celebrate the risen Lord. That we don't serve a God that hangs out in the grave. We serve a risen, powerful Lord. And in order for us to genuinely celebrate and rightfully celebrate and fully celebrate the goodness and the power and the authority of risen Lord, we have to first understand and wrestle with our brevity, our brokenness, our lostness. Because if you don't think you're very lost, you don't need a very big Savior. But if you understand the depth of your lostness, the helplessness of your brokenness, then you understand your desperate need for a God that walked out of the tomb. Yeah? So Lent, the season of Lent begins on Wednesday. That's what Ash Wednesday is all about. Ash Wednesday is just, it's a service where you are reminded that we were made from dust. To dust you will return. And the only thing you have in this life are the good things that God gives you. And so Ash Wednesday begins a season of, of repentance, of examination, of Lent. Uh, the, and it, it, it's 46 days that builds up to Easter. And so usually the, the way it works is you fast from something. And when I was little, my parents made me fast from chocolate, and I hated it. So don't make your kids fast from chocolate, all right? Don't do that. They'll hate you for it, all right? Don't make your kids fast. But for you, my guess is there, there might be something in your life that you can put on pause for 46 days. Maybe that's, maybe that's your, your Instagram account. You just disable it, delete it from your phone for 40 days. Maybe that's your Netflix account. Maybe, that's, maybe it is chocolate. I don't know. Maybe it, whatever it is, it's the idea that we, tr we set something down and say, Jesus, I need you more than I need this. Okay? Maybe it's, it's lunch every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so instead of going to lunch and spending 6000 on pizza, you, you, you take the, word, the bread of life, you go sit in your car, you go sit on the curb, and you eat lunch with Jesus in the Word. I don't know what it looks like for you, but it has been... Seasons of Lent can be really powerful in your life, okay? And so my, my hope for you 
is that you'd come Wednesday night with an, with an open hand saying, God, I want to get chapter 13 right. I want to get love right so that I can I know you more fully. I want to eradicate sin. I want to, to lose every sin out of my life. I want to be completely purged, completely so that I can be completely joyful in who I am as your son. But if you don't have, if you don't set aside time for repentance, come before the Father, to come before the cross and say, I am a broken man. I am a broken woman. And I need to be made new. That's what the season of Lent is for. So Yami and I are going to work together with some, some put from some others this week. And on Wednesday night, we're going to have a 40-day devotional. So it'll be six days a week, starting Wednesday, or probably, yeah, starting Wednesday, going up through Easter. And we're just going to ask you some hard questions and give you some rich truth to meditate on. But we want to invite you to do this together. Grab a friend, do it with your life, whatever, whatever that looks like for you, don't go it alone. I believe in a year's time, if we do this, if we allow the Lord to examine us and purify us and draw us deeper, my guess is in a few months, we're all going to be making phone calls to friends. Like my friend in the U.S. called me. He's like, dude, I don't know what God's doing, but it's wild. I think it's the Father's heart to invite you into a season like that. But there might be some hard work on the front of that. Okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are a good God who loves your kids. Thank you for the truth that you didn't stay in the grave. Thank you for the instruction to choose to celebrate in truth and to, to run, to expose the lies and to not rejoice in sin and in iniquity and in injustice and in anger and in, in, in lust in any of it, Lord. You, you draw us away from that and into intimacy with you. Holy Spirit, would you move in power? I pray that this week might be the start of a new chapter in our lives, in our, in our, in our season as a church. Might we really wrestle with sin? Might we, might we really repent? And might we really know that we're forgiven and set free in Jesus' name?